Welcome everyone for another brand new podcast episode uh, for the Power of Community show. Um, I guess today's podcast is about place-based initiatives. And to give you just a bit of a background about my interest in this topic, uh, the why, um, the truth is that I, I do come from a community development background and um, you know, some of the roles are occupied in the community sector, but also projects involved through my social enterprise as a consultant facilitator later through SolGen, um, well, community development projects. But as I engaged in these projects, I started realizing that they take, uh, they unfold in a particular place. And uh, it's important to better understand place and how to think about place when it comes to those initiatives. Uh, and the more you know, we learn about place and place-based approaches that can inform and enhance our practice. Um, so um, that's the intention of creating this podcast series with um, uh, one of uh, the place-based experts um, here in Sydney, Australia, David Lilly. Um, he has uh, so much experience and knowledge on the topic from different roles and industries and, and positions, university, private sector, community sector, government, so I'm excited to create this podcast with David and uh, take a deep dive into the topic of place-based approaches and community development. We have a very special guest uh, today for our podcast on place-based approaches. Um, welcome, David. Um, thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a bit about uh, yourself and the work that you do? Yeah, sure. I've been working on place-based initiatives of one kind or another for more than 20 years. The journey began when I was working for what was called the New South Wales Department of Housing. And I was involved in addressing disadvantage on public housing estates in southwest Sydney. And so those estates were obviously fairly well-defined places. So my early work life was, in a sense, working in place or on place issues. Um, curiously enough, though, initially, a lot of the work was quite fragmented, just like we see everywhere. Um, but shortly after I joined, people started to pull those initiatives together and you know, take a, in inverted commas, place-based approach. So this is sort of back in the late 1990s. Uh, since then, I've worked on, you know, a whole raft of, of projects and things. I've worked uh, for a university. I've worked as a consultant, worked in the private sector in a private sector consulting firm. So I've had quite a lot of roles, but all of them have had something to do with place and the coordination of services on a place basis. Thank you for this introduction, David. It seems that you have uh, quite a, an impressive and diverse experience um, when it comes to place-based approaches. Um, you mentioned about uh, fragmented uh, services and uh, versus a more coordinated approach. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I think there's a, a bit of a misconception out there in the, in the big wide world about what it means to work on a place basis. So, you know, for me, it's not just that you're located in a place or that you draw a geographic boundary around your work. You know, it also needs to involve bringing services together and 
like planning and designing them to work together for that specific place that you're in or that you're working with. Um, so I think there's quite a difference there between just assuming uh, the boundaries of place and a place-based approach and actively designing one. Increasingly, despite my long history of working in a place-based way or on place-based issues, that's probably not the core of how I would explain things now. Sure. Um, yeah. A lot of the, the sort of trendy language at the moment is around systems thinking and systems approaches. Yes. And I don't really want to get caught up in the, the sort of trendy novelty side of that. But for me, I do tend to think of things in a systemic way first. And part of thinking holistically or systemically about issues is thinking about the geographic context they occur in. Um, but that's not the only context. So, yeah, things occur in a geography, but they also occur in a policy environment, um, an economic environment, and, and, and all those other things uh, that might operate on a different level to the place. So I think it's really important to, to think about place and address place, but I don't think that we should focus only at that level. Sure, sure. Uh, it's so interesting to hear about uh, the systems approach. So I'm wondering here, um, is there a particular approach that uh, could help us to bring all these different aspects together? You mentioned about uh, um, place aspects and economic policy, um, all these different systems. Um, from your experience, uh, is there any approach or framework so we can better understand place and uh, be more holistic um, in the way we approach place? Yeah, look, I think there are lots of different models and frameworks. The issue for me primarily, though, is really one about mindset or about how you approach the community you're working with or the place or the, the project. So for me, it, it's, I, th I think it's really easy to get caught up in the technicalities of all these different things. You know, how do we define place? What's the model? What does systems mean? What does systemic mean? Sure. And the issue for me is to start by talking to, to local people, mm -hmm. understand from them what's important, and then build your approach with them. You know, I think it's a mistake to come in advocating collective impact or place management or service coordination or any particular model. I think that we need to start by talking to people about what's going on, what's important to them, um, what they'd like to work on together, and then creating your own approach. And that can draw on any, any method or any combination of methods, but it needs to start with, you know, with local people and with understanding people's aspirations rather than trying to impose models. Well, this is definitely a great point, David. Um, also, from my experience, you know, working uh, um, in place-based initiatives, mostly from a community development uh, approach, I feel that uh, it's very important to discuss uh, this. Uh, we know from place-based approaches and community development approaches that it's important to take into consideration uh, how we can be citizen-led or how we can be strength-based in our work, but also inclusive. Um, so I would like to ask you to expand a bit more on this point uh, about building a relationship with the community. 
from your experience, what will be the best approach or methodology to uh, engage the community and to build a relationship with them? Um, I've heard and used community conversations, so I'm also curious uh, about your perspective. I'd like to step back from that, <laughs> if we could, and of just course. explain something else first. So, yes, then, so some, of, some of the work that I'm doing at the moment is about how we understand places or other systems. Mm -hmm. And I think drawing on the systems theorist Russell Ackoff, there are, there are three broad types of systems and places um, in terms of the way we, we understand them. So we can think about place in a mechanistic way where we apply machine thinking to a place. We can think about a place in an ecological way by attributing the attributes of natural ecosystems to the place or we can think about them systemically. And when you make that distinction between mechanistic, ecological and systemic metaphors or ways of thinking about place, everyone sort of says, well, of course, you know, we think about it systemically. But I think that when you look at the way most people talk about a place in general conversation, they tend to use mechanistic metaphors. You talk about the problem with the place and how to solve the problem. You talk about what model you can use in the place. All that sort of language is, is really mechanistic. It comes from how you know, we think about you know, machines, how to design and build something mechanical rather than how to deal with people when you're dealing with psychology and politics. So I think sometimes we, we miss that. So for me, the first thing that you want to do in thinking about your place approach is think, okay, how am I thinking about this place? And then how do I think about this place with other people in ways that bring out the humanity of the place? Yeah, I think this is such an important and interesting observation. Um, also, from my experience, uh, I've realized that a lot of times organizations uh, do, en do engage in mechanistic thinking in terms of approaching the community, you know, identifying issues, problems, and then uh, interventions. How can we fix things? Which can also be quite top-down. Um, so I guess it's very important to transition to a different type of uh, thinking about place and community. Um, so I'm curious about how can this uh, practically take place? How can we approach community um, in a different way and build that relationship? And how can we start thinking about place in different ways? How could this practically take place from your experience? Look, I think all of these things are a little bit subjective and they depend on the relationships that you're building and, and where the energy things. But the way that I would do that is, is just to run some exercises to help people identify the assumptions, the patterns and the metaphors in their own thinking. Um, so not always, but often if you do that with people, they'll realise themselves that you know, when they're using mechanistic or ecological metaphors instead of whole systems metaphors, and so that then creates a different orientation for them to their own community or to the issue that they're wanting to address. 
Um, so I, I, provided that it seems to be appropriate to them, provided that they're interested to, to pursue it, um, I'd run some exercises, yeah, that just help people understand the way they're thinking and check in with them to see if they're happy, if they're satisfied with that way of thinking. If they are, then that's fine, and you, you work with them on that basis. And if they're not, then you, you, know, you can do more work uh, and you can cultivate ways of thinking together to make sure that you're using the same sorts of language, that you're understanding things in the same sorts of ways, which in the long term will avoid you know, those, those miscommunications and things that come from different assumptions and different ways of knowing and different ways of relating. Oh, yes. Uh, this, this makes me think also, David, that uh, sometimes we may have an amazing framework, you know, an approach such as collective impact or another collaborative framework and still engage in this type of place-based work, uh, having all these different assumptions that we haven't taken the time to unpack and, uh, and reflect. So I'm curious here, um, when you talk about having this type of uh, exercises, and you talked a lot about mindset with people, um, how, how do you define people? Uh, who are the different stakeholders? Um, are you talking about community members, service providers? Can you talk a bit more about that? Your um, understanding and framework in terms of uh, defining people? I wouldn't make a big distinction between uh, community members, you know, residents of a place or people who use a place. You know, they, could, they could use it for recreation or whatever. But I wouldn't really make a strong distinction between service providers and community members. Um, I think that's one of the first things. As soon as people make that distinction, they're compartmentalizing, which to me is mechanistic thinking. So if you're like, I am a service provider and you are a community member, we're in different categories, then you're starting to put barriers and artificial separations in place. So one of the first steps for me is to identify exactly that sort of thinking and, and to try and shift that around to say, okay, we're all human beings who have an interest in this place. We all have subjective experience we bring our own language, we bring our own aspirations, let's work with that. So I think that's a, that's a good example and that's exactly the sort of place that I'd like to start. It's, it's how, do we, how do we identify those sorts of patterns of thinking and explore whether we might want to shift them. Yes, um, that's definitely true and... Um... I'm thinking here, though, that uh, a lot of times we know that uh, organizations and uh, service providers and professionals uh, show up in this uh, type of project and, and places, um, you know, with their professional identity, their specific role and KPIs. And uh, from what you are saying and what we are discussing and what we know from experience, it does require a different approach to engage uh, in this type of process uh, where we highlight uh, our, you know, common interest or say humanity first. And then uh, we, we also draw on our subjective worlds, uh, which are different assets that we can uh, draw from. So how would you go about uh, shifting, um, shifting this dynamic for people to come together uh, in a different way? I think that's where it can be really important, whatever you want to call it, but I'm going to call it strategic questioning. 
the first questions we ask are really important. You know, do we ask questions that allow people to anchor themselves in their role, what they perceive their role to be, or do we ask questions that draw out their subjectivity and you know who they are as people? And I think you know you can always correct things later, but I think the the, the first questions we ask people are really important. And the way we conduct our first or our early meetings is really important. So one of the things that we used to do when I was working in Mount Druitt is we wouldn't sit around tables, boardroom style with piles of papers, because that tends to confirm or that tends to reinforce a, a worker's view of things. We come in, we have formal meetings, we have paperwork, you know, we sit a particular way and we talk a particular way. So what I've learned to do and what I hope I do reasonably well is try to break down some of those sort of default positions, some of that business as usual way of working. So when people come to a meeting, set up the room differently, invite them in differently, start the conversation differently to try and stop people falling into those default patterns. Yeah, definitely. And I think this uh, requires a different type of um, approach and mindset uh, for people who engage uh, in place-based work to show up more as themselves um, and yeah, how they set up the place and everything, as you mentioned. Um, I would like to ask you now about any examples of place-based initiatives that you have been involved and um, lessons learned, challenges, etc., um, could you talk about uh, some of these uh, examples? Yeah, look, I think it's tricky to name specific examples. Um, different examples probably illustrate different things. I'll mention a couple to you. One would be an initiative that I led about 15 years ago, which was called Working Together in Minto. And it accompanied, it was a sort of social planning group that accompanied the physical redevelopment of the Minto estate. And in some ways, it, you know, it was a really difficult project uh, because I was working for the state government, which was a really, for the Department of Housing, who were really unpopular because they were redeveloping an estate that a, a lot of people wanted to just have left alone. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the work we did is, is illustrative of the sorts of things we've been talking about. You know, we managed to get a really significant budget and set up a local process, you know, local budgeting, if you like, set up a local process for identifying initiatives that we wanted to run in the local area, um, a committee that would look at funding proposals and make all of those decisions locally. And so despite some of the difficult politics and some of the difficult interpersonal relationships around that project, it always comes to mind as something, probably because it was my first real opportunity to do things differently. Sure. Um, and so I learned a lot from that experience. And we probably didn't get away from the formalities anywhere near as much as we should have. But what I liked about it was that we managed to localize the approach. We stopped decisions being made in head office and found a way of making decisions literally in the local community. Um, 
quite a different project that I was involved in 10 years later would be the Hive in Mount Druitt, Collective Impact Project um, focused on early childhood education. And that was, that was the project I mentioned earlier where we, we did things quite differently, including physical space. Um, you know, the way we the way we held meetings was quite different. You know, we'd have a couch and a beanbag and massive whiteboards and things um, instead of boardroom tables and sort of played with different ways of working with people. Um, and so that, again, I really enjoyed. It was a, it was a really good experience for me personally. Um, and that initiative continues and, you know, I believe is doing, is doing good things. Um, Probably one other thing that I'm going to mention, just because I know a lot of what people tend to read or watch YouTube clips of or whatever, um, we, we often gravitate to, to projects that are written up um, overseas. And I think there are some big differences that I'd like to highlight between projects in, say, the USA compared to Australia. Sure. Um, when I was working in Mount Druitt, you know, we had a small budget and we were trying to influence local service providers. You know, there were literally hundreds of local service providers that we could potentially have been working with. And there were you know, thousands and thousands of community members. And so, you know, that's, that's a, in some sense, a tall ask, but in another, you know, it, it forces you to do that local community work well. Mm -hmm. uh, while I was doing that, I had a visit from someone in the US who ran a project that superficially looked similar. And this person came out to Mount Druitt to see me and was shocked that we didn't have you know, mountains of money and teams of staff. And so I said, you know, what, what do you mean? She said, well, in her project, they had uh, foundations and corporate giving programs and things so that they had a, an annual budget of about $20 million to run a collective impact project. And the way they ran that project was that they went out and identified all of the issues and what the priorities were. And then they'd fund organizations to deliver different components of the work. So they'd pick an organization and say, okay, we'll give you a million dollars for the next year if you can do X, Y, and Z. Sure. They go to the next organization, okay, we'll give you $2 million if you can do these things. And so I, I get worried, um, you know, when we, we either see projects overseas and we get really inspired by them, but they don't seem to hold true in Australia, or we get deflated sometimes when we see these great successes overseas. Um, but I think a lot of that has to do with how we're funded and the scale we work on in Australia. Mm -hmm. So the, the projects that I've been talking about, you know, working together in Minto and the, the Hive in Mount Druitt are really quite small local projects by international standards. I think there are lots of really good and interesting large projects overseas, um, but I also think they can be, as I said, a, a distraction. Um, sure. Yeah. And they might seem similar, but uh, they are not really in terms of the method and yeah, the, the way they, they go about collaborating. Yeah, so 
really that's a that was a long-winded way of saying that the projects that I really like in Australia are the ones that are innovative not in terms of how to spend millions and millions of dollars but where we find ways of doing things differently with whatever resources we're able to get um, you know they're, they're the, the projects where people start thinking differently and relating to each other differently and changing the way existing money is spent um, is really what inspires me and I will mention one other project just quickly which is one that you've also worked on um, and that's the the Hope Street initiative in Woolloomooloo. Yes. I think the the work that they're doing there is really interesting because it's exactly that it's it's bringing people together community members and service providers there's no sort of pot of gold they're just working with people to identify common interests opportunities priorities and then to genuinely i think think and work differently together and so yeah they're, they're the sorts of projects that inspire me